A quick warning, this episode of Botching It Up was recorded before the explosion match between Moxley and Omega at AW Revolution. As such, this is a hype episode and not a reactions. We've already done one of those if you want to go check out last week's pod. However, we think this conversation is even more interesting in line with what happened at last week's pay-per-view. So thank you for listening. And now for our feature presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Botching It Up podcast. Every bruise, bump, and botch. Wrestling you've been put on notice. Oh, let's get ready to ramble! If you have even a passing interest in professional wrestling, you would have heard of a barbed wire C4 exploding deathmatch. You've possibly even seen the infamous match at the King of the Deathmatch tournament between Mick Foley and Terry Funk in 1995, which is by far the most well-known version of this match among Western audiences. But just like the 90s version of WWF's Hell in a Cell, the explosion match in Japan was a frightening near-death experience only brought out for special occasions, the climax of bits of blood feuds hosted at the biggest events. We were shocked to learn that there isn't just three or four of these awe-spying spectacles, but there have since become a mainstay in Japanese deathmatch wrestling. And just like the Hell in a Cell, as the years rolled by, the explosion match has been watered down to the point that some have been held at house shows in front of only a handful of people. Atushi Anita founded Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling in 1989, and it took him less than a full year to compete in the first ever barbed wire rope explosion deathmatch in 1990 against career-long arch-nemesis Tanzan Gotu. Goto was angry with the lack of talent Anita was bringing into FMW, and he took it upon himself to put Anita out of business. Each and every match was more brutal and barbaric than the last, until finally, at the second anniversary show in September 1991, in front of 33,000 fans, Anita and Goto faced off in the legendary, exploding barbed wire steel cage match that has gone down in the wrestling history books of Japanese wrestling. Just as us Westerners view the Foley Funk deathmatch, or maybe even Foley Taker in the cell, this match was a game changer. Goto and Anita had changed deathmatch wrestling forever. The match at the end of a timer exploded the ring. How much closer to death could a wrestler get? Following this match, Goto face turned, and the two became allies, then off and on again rivals. But more importantly, FMW had made a name for itself and cemented a position on the main stage of wrestling with a bang. Anita had birthed the most extreme of death matches, and unlike other promotions, specifically the American CZW and XBW, the art of storytelling was not lost on Anita and his ragtag crew of near-death gladiators. These crazy bouts of blood and glory used ring psychology to tell a story. The explosion match has gone on to be used by many promotions such as Big Japan Pro Wrestling, Zero One, IWA Japan, and even ECW tried several times but never aired one, while CZW have done their best to try and bring the gimmick to America, but arguably no one has done the explosion justice like its forefather Atushi Anita. Looking ahead to next week, do you think Moxley and Omega will pay homage to the greats of Deathmatch and Anita's FMW at Revolution 2021, or should the explosion be left behind in the 90s? Let's find out now as we discuss No Rope Bar Wire C4 Exploding Deathmatches! Botched, 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 botched up. Brother! 
What's up? This is the Botchnut Podcast number 32. And because we're so excited about Revolution coming up this weekend, we're talking about exploding barbed wire death matches. Can you believe it? I'm so excited. <laughs> As always, you have me, Benito, and my good friend, Basil. Wild thing. I, I felt that one coming, actually. I didn't know what I else know. to do. What, what else can I... I don't know any Japanese words, and I can't scream them. So you can talk about Catch Can Wrestling, WCW, Ric Flair, all you like, but this my shit. I'm so excited. Yeah, I can tell it's your... I can tell it's your shit. And just to preface a little bit with this we have a we both have a shared history of exploding ring death matches because when i was about 13 years old you came into the school really excited one day and told me that you had found a mick foley exploding ring death match and you wouldn't stop talking about it and for my birthday that year you got me the dvd and we both shared the glory of that IWA tournament, which ended in the main event of Mick Foley versus Terry Funk in a barbed wire, no rope, exploding ring C4 dynamite death match. No, no rope, barbed wire C4 exploding <laughs> death match. That's what it's called. That's yes. what it's called. Off yes. the top of my head. And I had really fond memories of that. And I think you did too. And it was interesting to watch it back for various reasons. Yeah. Um,. It was a bit gutting to watch it back, actually. It's not as good of a match as I remember it being. It's got somewhat cult status, but it's actually not a great hardcore match. No, I I really thought that it fizzled out quite a bit. I mean, that's not even a pun, because obviously I've forgotten that the final explosion, uh, Mick Foley actually describes them as Roman candles. Uh, (laughs) It didn't go to plan. So did you, there's a copy online where someone has dubbed over Mick Foley's autobiography audiobook onto yes. the match. Did you watch that one night? I, I saw that one. I loved so it. There was it was really interesting. It... So it's like uh, like a director's commentary, Mick Foley's talking over it. And he describes, and I've read this somewhere else as well, that it was actually um, a brutally hot day that the performers and the audience were um, very dehydrated. And I think as a wrestling show, it actually just sucked. So um, Terry Funk and Mick Foley, by this main event, had just given it all. I mean, they come to the ring just blood-soaked, all their bandages They already looked half dead. Yeah, so, I mean, how much more can you give? These guys had two death matches before they had this death match on the same night, whereas the other ones we're about to talk about, they only had one match. They went into I mean, it fresh. Goldberg can't even do a minute and a half in Saudi Arabia because it's too hot. You've got to give respect to Terry Funk and Mick Foley for even standing up at this point in the tournament. But they had barbed wire or nail matches as qualifiers in this one-day tournament going into this match. So they finally have this C4 exploding death match, but this one's different to a lot of other um, versions of the match in that the explosives aren't on the wires around the ring. They are on these boards that have barbed wire on them and they explode when they land on it. And Mick Foley describes that um, when he took it, he took it in a hip toss and as he rolled, the explosion didn't actually really hit him. He didn't feel anything. But when Terry Funk did it, he landed just in a straight backdrop and took the full brunt of the explosion onto his back. And when he did that, Terry Funk was out for the count. He, and this was only a couple minutes into the match and he was gone. And I think this is where the match sort of fell apart. And after yeah. watching a couple of hours 
watching Anita's matches, I think the idea of having the C4 on the tables themselves was a terrible idea. Because there's Cause nowhere you, for the explosion to go other than you, on you your also, body. And you also, you can't work. Like a, a, a massive thing from watching a load of these death matches is they work the headlock, they work the sort of fear of falling into the ropes. I, don't, I think all deathmatch performers must practice in their houses running and then stopping their momentum because that's a massive thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just the, the... Unless you're Sabu fo- and you just fucking go into it every time. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Foley and Funk, I think, suffered because they didn't know how to play into the tensity of the situation while doing wrestling moves. Yeah. Because if they if they land in the wrong place, then they're just going to explode again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like a lot of these exploding matches, there is a timer. So in this match, it was 10 minutes. I think a lot of... Um, the other Most ones of them are 10 fifth- minutes, aren't they? Oh, they're 15 usually. They're 15 usually. This one was 10 minutes. I guess just because they had already done death matches in one day. I mean, like, come on, give the guys a break. Uh, so the ring is meant to explode. And, like, if you've never seen one of these matches, basically uh, the explosion happens on the side, around the sides of the ring. But it's such a big explosion that for the crowd, it looks like the whole ring's gone up. But in this case, I guess because IWA wasn't as big of a promotion as FMW, which we'll talk about in a minute, they couldn't afford such good pyrotechnics. (laughs) So like you mentioned a minute ago, it was Roman Candles. And it was so bad, the crowd started to boo. And Terry Funk is on his feet in the middle of the ring with just arms up. Like, What am I supposed to do, man? It's not my fault I didn't get murdered. I'm physically (laughs) trying to kill myself for you guys, okay? Like... It's not my yeah. fault if the physically killing stuff doesn't work. Yeah. He, he, he looked so pissed off. <laughs> and then Mick Foley runs back into the ring. Uh, they do a few more bits and then Funk's just on the floor and then Foley just doesn't know how to end it. So he just grabs a ladder. Um, yeah. I don't think I, I, it was the plan. A good thinking though. I mean, that finish, that last elbow off the top of the ladder, to put into perspective, Foley was on top of a ladder with, with a comatose Terry Funk underneath him. On, I think, another exploding table or something like that. And it it just looked horrible. It looked brutal. And this is one of the things that Mick Foley mentions in the commentary, which I felt so bad for. You know, he's there's a point in the match where he's literally ripping parts of his arm off off the barbed wire ropes. You can physically see him rip his skin off. And he said a lot of the stuff hurt way more than it sold yeah. uh, aesthetically so they those these guys are killing each other and you can't really see that full impact on screen or in the crowd i will say though that the actual explosions in this match are really impressive compared to the other ones because <laughs> so, it's just a board with some barbed wire on it and when they land on that my god the explosion is massive if, we, if we're going through a couple of these matches, I think you should have your own personal explosion meter. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> so the boards, I would give a nine explosions out of ten explosions. Oh, wow. You really, really like these, but these, the actual, these explosions. But the actual C4 explosion, I mean, like half half a TNT out of ten TNTs. You know, because that as was a, a whimper. As, as a man, I have to say, you're such a fucking man, dude. <laughs> what does that even mean? But you're such a bloke, dude. You fireworks, b- bombs, Whoa! explosions. <laughs> Sorry, I like a little bit of death in my wrestling. Sorry, you, you just you're a sucker for pyrotechnics. 
I do, um, I do love a pyrotechnic. There's a there's a bit on commentary where uh, Mick says, uh, uh, his wife says, uh, "God, Mick, that's bad." With someone smoking on the plane next to you, do you smell something burning? <laughs> and he turns around to her, he's like, "Yes, Colette, that's me." It's him. It's his arm. Did you know Mick Foley? It. Mick Foley got paid three hundred dollars in a can of soda for this. Yeah. <laughs> that's it's just why would you do it for the love of the game that's what it is i don't even know if this is the game this is just two masochists that want to hurt themselves more than they want to hurt other people so other than the 300 dollars that he got he did get maybe one of the most famous portraits of him of maybe any hardcore wrestling oh this crimson mask was crazy yeah the image of him at the top of the ladder with his arm in the air and his face is just covered in blood and it's just dripping off him he looks like a barbarian that's just like ripped open an animal and just stuffed his face in it or whatever it's it is barbaric um and that's and that's the finish of the match like you said the diving elbow and he, and he said it in the uh, commentary that him and Terry Funk were both so out of it they were no longer talking to each other and both wow. of them both of them were like uh, murmuring because the finish had like been funked because of the explosion so they were both trying to work out uh, how to get to the finish but they couldn't communicate to the other one because they were just both too shattered I guess so they were both doing different things at, and out of sync and that's why it looked so sloppy at the end so I think Foley had hoped when he did that diving elbow off the ladder, uh, Funk would just lay down and take the pin, but he kicks out. So Foley goes up again, and this time Funk stands up and pushes him off the ladder. He lands in the barbed wire, but Funk just collapses. He's just done. Even though Foley took the, the, the attack there, he still just lands on top of Funk, and then he gets the free count, but uh, Funk immediately lifts his shoulder after the free count, and it's a really sloppy finish. With that said, and I do agree with you, Watching this from a historical and critical perspective really showcases, I think, how on the ball Mick Foley is. The amount of times that he tried to save this match yeah. um, just came up with whatever, anything that would make the crowd pop. Uh, even down to when they were opening the match and they realized literally d- during the opening seconds of the match, oh shit, we can't do anything because there's exploding tables everywhere. Uh, and Mick Foley... Which he's always been good at, but specifically here, really turned up the volume and like was audibly grunting and sort of playing up the vocal part of his character just to get something going, some sort of atmosphere of any kind. And Funk, again, is like a, you know, incredible professional. The way these two, as you said, weren't even talking to each other anymore, realized the match had gone to shit, even though it wasn't their fault, but were still taking extreme punishment to try and get something going again is pretty admirable yes yeah, a shame i just think terry funk got really hurt within the opening couple of minutes yeah and if that hadn't happened it would have been a very different match but it's still gone down in history as one of the most famous death matches of all time well i knew that i was in for a fight when about three minutes in they used a cement brick like it was a, a chair <laughs> and just kept they literally i think foley just smashed a cement brick into Terry Funk's head and then they just kept fighting. Still chairs just... for pussies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you reckon Vince ever saw this match? He must have. He must have seen it. Because this is 95. This this is, what, a year before he joins WWF? He probably thought it was outlaw bullshit, but I, I'm assuming that Vince would watch this, yeah. Right. I mean, well, this is... This is a thi- This was a match, though, I just have to say, that uh, turned Foley into an underground star. 
this is why everybody suddenly wanted him because yeah, he was great he in WCW. Did. Coming off WCW, he wasn't really like a big market factor guy. So uh, talking about uh, cowboy outlaw shit, I think that's what the IWA were. The FMW, which we'll get onto now, uh, were the only kind of deathmatch wrestling happening in Japan. And then there was a few other companies that in the mid-90s tried to do the same thing because FMW was so popular. And uh, IWA didn't last very long. I think, I think they exist now, but they've been in and out of running shows for years. Am I correct in thinking that it was actually FMW that created this exploding ring gimmick? Yeah, it's Onita, is baby. Oh, he created the gimmick himself. Yeah, it's it's his his thing. So, well, Onita actually created FMW as well. He's one of like the founding, um, one of the founders of the company. There's a few others, I think. Um, I f- I find this really just from a not from a podcast perspective, just talking to you. I find this really fascinating that I've somehow bumped into FMW again, because. I don't know whether I ever mentioned it to you, but at like four in the morning, maybe Bravo or one of these old channels we had in the UK, they would play episodes of FMW. And I only think I caught one or two of them. And I I really wish I'd have taped them, but I didn't. But they, I watched the normal stuff, like the non-deathmatch stuff. Mm. Um, so it was really cool to remember a couple of those episodes from when I was like 14 and realize that it's the same company doing this crazy shit. Yeah, they seemed a- like quite ahead of their time. That's a pro shoe, isn't it? Yeah. Where they mix wrestling and MMA together, and the guys that do it are actual legitimate badasses. And that's where Bass Rutten comes from. Bass Rutten was doing this, like, hybrid, real, and fake shit before he was an MMA guy. Did did FMW last long, do you know? Uh, They lasted until the late 90s, and then they came back again. Uh, But, like, somebody bought the name. A bit like Billy Corgan buying NWA. I got a little um, nugget of trivia for you. Yeah, go on. I didn't know that Anita actually created FMW, but now I know where he went. Um, Where'd he go? Anita became a politician and actually got into Japanese government. (laughs) Yeah, think about that one. Okay, yeah. And the first thing that he did was in the post-9-11 era, went to Afghanistan and set up like a mini wrestling promotion but they were literally fighting with like uh, sticks in the sand as the as the ring, like next to chickens and stuff, just for the amusement of li- little Afghanistan kids. Then he finally got <laughs> what? he got he got kicked out of um, his politics career after suffering a scandal with a porn star and somebody else who is having a threesome with. <laughs> oh, classic politician shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. And then, in the last couple of years, he created, get the, this is amazing, he created Atushi Anita's uh, political quiz for the Nintendo DS. Political quiz? Yes, it's a quiz so, game for the DS. By, by a deathmatch wrestler? Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. I thought you'd like that. <laughs> That's, this guy, man, what the fuck? He well, he's also from... one of those guys that, like, fair and stuff, that's claimed to have slept with over 20,000 women. Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, Scott Steiner's the other one, is it, right? Yeah, Steiner, Steiner, Flair, yeah. I mean, is that even possible? 20,000 people? Is oh, that possible? No, it's just, I, when I hear somebody coming out with stuff like that, apart from Flair, people like Steiner and shit, it's just their own, own tiny egos, isn't it? I just no. I'm just wondering how many 
20,000 days is. I think somebody worked flares out to be like two and a half a day. I don't know how many flares that he did, but... Um, oh, I put in 200,000. Hang on. It's riveting content, this. Sorry, I'll come to that. <laughs> no, it's quite funny. 20... Calc- tw- oh, no, okay, it's doable. 20,000 days is 54.7 years. <laughs> So if you slept with one person every day of your life for 54 years, you could hit 20,000 people. I don't think Anita's 54 yet, is he? So it's bullshit. Well, apparently he's really good at threesomes. So there you go. It's probably like 22 or something. Anyway, this guy in the late 80s, uh, Anita, is creates this hybrid wrestling promotion. And they're all about hardcore, which I think is a fairly new idea. To Japan, well, the world apparently, and they have these death matches, and they're huge. The second anniversary show, which we're going to talk about, the main event of this is the first ever exploding death match. The, so, the main event of the second anniversary show, there is 35,000 people in a stadium. That was in- one thing that I immediately noticed between the IWA finals and the FMW stuff. The FMW stuff felt so big time in comparison, the crowds were massive, the arenas were proper. There was like little intros before the match. It felt kind of a little bit like a hardcore deathmatch WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, it's WWE versus TNA. The IWA thing is is TNA. You know, they're, try- they're trying to be big. They're trying to do this massive thing. They've got Terry yeah. Funk. They've got a few other legends. They had Dan Seven defending the NWA championship in the co-main on, on the, the card we just talked about. Whereas this one has a legitimate following of thousands of people in Japan. Yeah. Uh, so the first ever no rope exploding barbed wire steel cage match technically because the barbed wire wasn't the ropes I don't think that had been invented yet it was actually just bound round a steel cage is uh, Atushi Onita versus Tarzan Goto who we'll talk about Goto quite a few times in this these two were like I don't know Randy Orton versus Cena they just seem to be rivals forever going at it all the time and what a way to start any match whatsoever. One of my favourite things to see in wrestling. Then two big hosses repeatedly headbutting each other for about a minute. <laughs> yep. That yep. made my morning. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to start the day. <laughs> yeah. What, that's, literally, I woke up. Oh, mate, don't even get me started on the drains. And I've been through so many bottles of Mr. Muscle. Anyway, after that. I gave up with that bullshit. I settled down for a nice viewing of uh, some extreme death matches. <laughs> these <laughs> these two looked so cool, man. So they cool. Did. I wonder if that is what was the attraction to FMW in the early days. I guess you got King's Road in Japan, which is kind of their style of wrestling, which is the everything feels a bit more real. But then in the 80s, American wrestling felt a bit real. It was like events were like boxing matches. Um, so I wondered if like this felt like real guys in the street just trying to kill each other, you know? It, it, it was it was marketed like that, and I actually kind of believed it. Like these guys were not walking into the ring playing the acting like we see on on Western wrestling. Neither of them looked scared to be in there or sort of were were playing up a character of of a of a kind of Miz or anything like that. They both stormed in ready, willing and waiting to kill each other and themselves. And that really added to the effectiveness of of and the tensity of this match. Um I think the steel cage thing was a bit mental as well. Like 
this sort of barbed wire uh, exploding ring thing is scary enough just from a uh, um audience's perspective when you then cage them like if something goes wrong what are you gonna do yeah Climb but I th- up barbed wire yeah but i think that's the thing i think at this i didn't say this is september 23rd 1991 um yeah. so i think at this point the idea of of barbed wire ropes hadn't been invented yet so they were just like how are we gonna barbed wire around the ring i guess we'll just put a cage and barbed wire the cage that's so scary though it is it's crazy it's it's completely metal um and then so every time they get thrown into they, there is no ropes so every time they get thrown into the cage it explodes on their back oh, and man. obviously we all know about uh japanese crowds that you know they, they they will chant and get loud but they they don't like uh, american crowds will but as soon as an explosion happened the crowd just went mental there were so many cool shots in this as well. I don't know whether you picked them up. There's one specifically where Anita is is just getting up after being exploded on. And it's a camera shot through a steel cage grate that's still on fire. And you're watching Anita through the steel cage grate that's on fire yeah. stand up and like scream. And like yeah. I was like, man, this is some anime shit. Like this is crazy, crazy stuff. I could some of this stuff that I watched in preparation for this podcast, I can't actually believe happened. I'm gonna I'm gonna fall asleep and dream of Anita like standing up behind some some of his mates on on a boat. Like what is some of this stuff, Ben? Where did it's, you find this stuff? It's, it's crazy stuff, but I think in Japan, what we thought of the Funk Foley match as like the greatest death match ever is lived in through history. I think in Japan this match is for the Japanese fans. Like this sure. is the 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 old hardcore legends that just murdered each other that night this is this is the match that's gone down in history again well that's that's quite interesting because i thought personally that um i mean i guess i was watching this after seeing a couple of the others but i thought this anita goto match was i mean it it feels really stupid to say that it felt tame (laughs) (laughs) but like when given what we're currently talking about that's an impossible thing to say but i would say that it was slightly more slow paced and less it felt less like actual death was about to happen but it was the first one so i'm not insulting it man like i'm not (laughs) i wouldn't even be the ref in these matches i'm just saying like you know it's interesting to hear that this is the one that goes down in history because I assume that's why we love the Funk Foley one so much. It's it's the guys involved more yeah, than exactly. the match itself. Well, these two went on to be massive stars in Japan. Oh, I mean, they already were massive stars at this point. Um, Onita was the ace of this company. You know, he was the Hulk Hogan, John Cena of the company. Uh, so he pretty much won every time. He won this match. Um, I do love, out of all of the... I, I think I watched... Th- three or four of him doing knee style matches i believe you watched two or maybe three i love uh, how i watched a couple i watched a c- all of the matches i watched apart from the foley funk had anita in them just because i found him really charismatic and i just wanted to watch more of him yeah. specifically and i love every time that the ring goes to explode he uh jumps on top of the ref like he's trying to defend the ref yeah yeah I love it. which i i love uh in these early matches i think they dropped it after a while the fact that the ref is basically wearing full night armor. Yes. Uh, so the ref in this one wasn't, but the ref in the 92 match, 
which we'll get onto in a second. Uh, yeah, you're right. He's wearing like full samurai chain link armor, which is fantastic. But I mean, as well as being a cool visual, uh, it's so it makes it feel more immersive, and it make because you're watching this ref who was obviously not like a big bad bad hoss, uh, just trying to do the match and survive, wearing chainmail. You know? Yeah, and then and then you see Anita come in with half of a broken T-shirt, be like, "Yeah, let's get it on." And, but it just jeans. Yeah, <laughs> and it just makes you. It's such a good idea from a booking perspective because it just makes these guys look like invincible Godzilla King Kong monsters. When you're watching a guy a guy doing the raffing, literally wearing chainmail, uh, you know it's really great little touch. I thought. So that's uh, what you're talking about there is Anita versus Terry Funk. Uh, this is the fourth anniversary show, so like two years later in 1993. Uh, there was 41,000 people in attendance this time. So FMW still a big deal several years later. Terry Funk, who is a massive 80s star, he's still massive in the early 90s. He loves Japan. He loves doing his hardcore stuff in Japan. So these two are going to just... Again, they're going to murder each other. This time, it's not a cage. It's what we all think of when I say, like, the no rope bar white exploding C4 deathmatch. And, yeah, after 15 minutes, uh, the ring will blow up. And what's interesting is I looked at the timer when watching this match, and it's not even 15 minutes long. Basically, um, Anita wins in 12 minutes, but Terry Funk is so angry, they continue to brawl until the explosion happens. And unlike Foley Funk, this is a real explosion. The whole, Again, we're watching grainy footage, so maybe live it wouldn't be like that, but the whole arena just goes white. This was my absolute favourite match. This is what put me onto Anita and made me carry on watching these death matches. This was a masterpiece. Like, say what you want about the hardcore genre or the garbage genre and this sort of stuff but the way that this was booked the way that the two guys carried it out the storytelling of it i thought this was amazing honestly there's some real story and obviously we haven't given it much justice because we don't really know it's really hard to find the tapes and to to find clips of this stuff but from what i've read both this match with funk and the other match with go to there was like a year-long storyline going into these matches like they were feud ending matches they didn't just throw a barbed wire match out when he nilly it's it's a big deal it's it's like the hell of the sale of the time yeah 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 no i i i was thinking about AEW's exploding ring death match and comparing that to how the first hell in a cell was and the first elimination chamber was and how those gimmicks originally had a power they had an aura about them yeah. and how they've just been watered and trickled down into absolutely nothing now yeah because um, they have their own shows so we know you know those exploding year. ring death matches definitely need to be once every four fucking years you know and and you know what adds to the allure of them is that going into this we both thought there was about three it turns out there's way more but it's hard Tons, to yeah. you just can't find them you can't get your hands on them they're like this uh rare finds out in the wrestling world which is really really cool right in in an age where we can watch pretty much everything on one network or another it's it's cool to do a podcast on something that we well you had to quite it was quite difficult to to dig out and find and all we can find is like 240p it just adds to the sort of 
mystery of it a little bit more like you're watching something that you're not sure that you're supposed to be watching yeah i mean i could find a million barbed wire matches if you know i mean ecw had one once a month probably uh but it's it's the, adding an explosion to a match is really rare and really makes it feel special find it really interesting that ecw never actually attempted any of this stuff okay so there's a story here ah. uh which I, I know you know already but um, they wanted uh, Anita to come in and have a match with Sandman. And it Wasn't fell this XPW? No, well, so in ECW, they wanted to have a match with Sandman and it fell through. Anita did a couple of um, showings at ECW tapings uh, to, to hype a match between them and it just didn't happen. I, I couldn't really find out why it didn't happen. I'm sorry, um, dude, but... <laughs> You're having a, a, a barbed wire, no rope, exploding time bomb death match, and you put in the fucking drunk. Yeah, I. The not one ter- guy that sh- like should not be around ex- exploding things. <laughs> <laughs> Why not Tommy Dreamer or even Funk? Like just rematch with Funk or something. They probably got Sandman because Sandman was the only one that signed up to it because he didn't yeah. even remember signing up to it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I read somewhere, but this might be utter bullshit because I, I read it on one website that they actually had the match, but it was so damn awful that they just never, they oh, never yeah. put it out of there into the world. You so won't tell me this. So it's probably just buried somewhere deep in uh, Heyman's mum's basement. What well, a they glorious probably... piece of lost footage. We should we, that needs to be added to like the wrestling iceberg mm-hmm. of t- mm-hmm. tier eight. But but it might have just been taped over. You can you know I can imagine Heyman being like that, trying to save money. It was just such a shit match. He just taped yeah. over the next pay per view. Uh, but yeah, the the other story is um, they wanted to bring Anita in in XPW in what two thousand and one. When was that promotion around? Early two thousands, right? It was after. I don't ECW. know. I I just always assumed it that that was that the one like the House of Hardcore sort of stuff. Yeah. Where, like, so ECW fell, then XPW kind of came out of its ashes and was just really shit. Shane Douglas I remember, was involved with it. And, I remember somehow they managed to get a pretty cushy distribution deal in the UK and on DVDs. I don't know whether you remember this, but no. their their product used to be everywhere uh, for no particular reason. It'd always be like two pound in ASDA. These XPW shows. I, or was that 3PW? Like, it was all of these tiny ECW light promotions, for some reason, yeah. uh, got cheaply marketed over here, and they had, like, a ton of shit pay-per-views on, on DVD that you could buy for a couple of quid. <laughs> yeah. So the, the story goes that we both read is that uh, they wanted Anita to come over and do one of the exploding death matches with Sabu for... 3PW or XPW sorry the promoter at the time that was like a piece of shit porn promoter turned wrestling promoter got arrested oh no not in the wrestling business are you serious (laughs) sorry to disappoint but it's not all innocent and um you didn't go ahead which is unfortunate (laughs) (laughs) you can only get that from a wrestling fan's perspective Right. <laughs> oh yeah, no. So there's this illegal porn distributor who did some like crazy CD shit, but it's so sad, man, because that exploding ring death match didn't happen. <laughs> it's probably for the best because I think Sabu would have legitimately killed himself, especially in a in a promotion as amateur as XPW. Yeah, there's no doctors backstage. No. No. Although I think Anita knows a thing or two about explosions. He probably could have 
got Sabu through it. Uh, was it this match or a later match? I think maybe it was... Oh, I can't remember what match it was. I, I think maybe it was Anita versus Hay- Hayabusa. Yeah, that was a um, good one. There was a guy on... A really obnoxious guy on commentary for the American audience. I think this is what linked into what you're talking about, where they were trying to promote the deathmatch for XPW. And he went on this <laughs> amazing little story, which I, is probably not real, but I really hope it is, that Anita, in preparation for a deathmatch jumped into a Japanese river and um, got hospitalized because he had loads of open wounds from his last death match that got infected and he lost a ton of weight and nearly died. How Jesus. In, like, that is... <laughs> whether it's true or not, that adds to the man, man and the myth that Anita is. That's a crazy story that I really hope is true. Uh, so that one happened... Was it like 95, 96? I just wanted to confirm again, because we didn't really talk about it, that Anita versus Funk was my favourite Exploding Ring deathmatch that I'd seen. Uh, right down to, like, the pacing of the match was great. They actually did some proper moves. Um, I love this siren sound that they do in the last three minutes. It's so tense. Yeah. It's so anxiety-ridden. And then I really liked Anita trying to save Funk at the last moment, like slapping his head. And just the, the visuals. Oh, well, Anita leaves the ring because it's about to explode. And he yeah. goes back for Funk to try and yeah, get him out I the love ring. love that. He can't get him out quick enough. So instead, he just dumps his body on top of Funk. What a baby him. face. It's fantastic. And that's what I was saying, that he does the same thing with the refs. He, he dunks his body on top of the refs to, to protect them from the explosion. It's but such what a I s- simple baby face move. What I specifically loved about this, this match was the visuals for the last five minutes. Anita's got a piece of barbed wire around his neck, and instead of just throwing it away, he just keeps it there. That man wrestles and jumps on Funk during an explosion for a, a total of five minutes, just wrestling with a with a, a piece of barbed wire around his neck. Just think about that one for a second. This guy is crazy, man. Oh yeah, he's crazy for sure. He also but got he, into politics, but he, but he loves it for whatever reason. Uh, so the one versus Hayabushi we we discussed already. That was meant to be his retirement match. Um, this Onita guy seems to have retired as many times as Ric Flair. Yeah, so he's uh, a proper wrestler, basically. Yeah, he's he's a real old school wrestler. That's what they do. I liked um, the Hayabusha match. Uh, I I really liked Hayabusha's look, and I thought again, in comparison to the stuff like the Goto match. It seems like when Anita, or maybe because the Goto match was earlier in time, but it seems like when Anita's got an opponent that he can really sort of go with and gel with, it the whole thing just comes alive. And it's I've noticed it's kind of all about those opening moments uh, when they go into a headlock and try and make it feel like a big deal, or if Funk's like tripping near near the barbed wire explosion three to four times and adding to the tension. I think a lot of it, like Anita obviously knows what he's doing, but a lot of what goes into these matches being good has got more to do with Anita's opponent than Anita himself. I, th- I think in these early matches, and I think it's what we're going to get with Moxley and Omega, there's a lot of story going into it, as well as it being cool to see the explosions. It's still like a proper wrestling match. I think it's in good hands with Moxley and Omega. Yeah. Before we get onto those two, I did want to discuss the double hell match with you um, yeah. <laughs> not 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 the one you're thinking of oh 
we'll get to that in a second. But I just wanted to, uh, to quickly go over the evolution of the exploding death match. I guess they got bored of wiring up all of the ring. So they started doing these double hell matches in which two sides of the ring were barbed wire explosive death matches. And the other two had no ropes, but then just a barbed wire netting outside the ring that people could fall onto. I thought it was just called Double Hell because it was a six-man. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's called Double Hell because I'm out of barbed wire everywhere. Oh, Jesus, okay. So this became a thing, and I just want to go through, over the years, in 97, we get a 200-volt Double Hell barbed wire barricade double landmine crushed glass <laughs> exploding death match. Right. This is still FMW, by the way. Then in uh, 90. In 2000s, we have an octagon cage electric time bomb death match. Christ. So, so when we went into this, we thought there was like four of these. Uh, there's a lot. So this um, was a basically an F- FMW tradition. Yeah, but I, I'm, as we've seen with IWA, a lot of other Japanese companies were doing them. But yeah, it seems like the main event of the anniversary show for FMW was always some sort of explosion match. It was like but, if WWF had a Hell in a Cell match every Mania. But, like, actually booked people to to a level where it looked like they actually wanted to kill each other. Yeah. Because, do, sure. let's let's think, think about it. WWE could still do this. WWE have a period of time in which they know that Hell in a Cell is on this month at this time. And if they wanted to treat it as something other than a B-show pay-per-view, they could get two guys, make them want to kill each other, and then throw them in the hell of a cell at exactly October. It wouldn't be impossible to do. It wouldn't be impossible, but from from reading the results, I'm getting the feeling that at this period of time, it wasn't just, oh, um, when is their anniversary show? May. May's come around, we're going to have an explosion match. It just feels like there's always a reason for it to happen. There's always sure. a story that needs it. Um, quick fun fact, in, in November 1999, uh, Shawn Michaels was a special referee in an explosion match. What? So it That's is crazy. Seriously. How it's H, which is Harabusa, versus fake Harabusa, special referee Shawn Michaels. What? Man, it's I didn't even know he ever had a period where he wasn't under contract. Is is this when his like back was broken and he basically did nothing for it, WWF? Yeah, he's his back. Uh, got hurt. Uh, so did he just go around the Indies just doing some fun shit? Well, no, I, as far as I'm aware, he was his back got hurt the 98 Rumble and then he was out on his sofa, as he said himself, taking like 120 pain pills a day until 2002. So I, I had no idea about this. Let me see if I can quickly find anything. Oh yeah, uh, Michael's made a special appearance for FMW 10th anniversary show. Uh, it's because uh, FMW and ECW were connected. So when EC- WWF bought ECW out, um, they had that connection of FMW and they shared a few talents back and forth. That's crazy, man. So I guess Michaels was just part of that, just sharing some talent. I'm going to look a little bit deeper into that, I think. It's really cool. Oh, no, I'm so- oh, no I, I, I got that wrong. Sorry. He is the special ref of the main event, but that's just a singles match. It's the co-main that's... Uh, um, I still think it's really cool that somehow Shawn Michaels ended up in an FMW anniversary show. Yeah, 
It's cool. So that's double hell. And then we get on to the double hell swimming pool match. So did you watch this whole match? Because I'm pretty sure I watched highlights. Oh, yeah. I sent you two videos. One was highlights. One was the full match. I think I got the gist of it from the highlights. No, the, the, the highlights <laughs> was, yeah. The full match was only about two minutes longer. So, Which I thought was hilarious. But I didn't realize they were highlights at first. So let, um, let's explain the match, right? It's a wrestling ring. In the middle of like an Olympic size swimming pool, there is these cannons in the pool around the ring that will shoot off explosions when anyone gets thrown into the the, the water. But there's also mesh walls on two sides of the ring that have explosive barbed wire on them as well. And you have to eliminate your opponent by throwing them into the swimming pool. It's a six man tag. Rule thirty four. If you can think it, it exists. (laughs) Well, at one point, someone goes for a pin and the ref counts it. I was like, what? I thought you you got eliminated by being thrown off the ring. There's so many batshit moments in this match. So so you're telling... I think you have to get pinned first and then you're eligible to be thrown off the ring. Oh, dude, I had... I was going to mention this earlier. I had no idea what the rules were for some of these matches. I think it was... Uh, either the Goto match or the Hayabusa match, they just pin each other all the time. What's going on? I have, n- I just genuinely didn't know. I, th- I can't remember which one it was, but Go- I think Goto gives him two pile drivers and pins him twice, and then Anita gets up and pins him twice after two oh, pile drivers. Yes, so this is um, early death. Ma- so a Mexican, a Mexican last standing match, which I watched in ECW a few ECW tapes, is that you have to pin your opponent and then they have to stay down for the count of 10 so i think early japanese death matches were the same i had no idea what was going on i thought like (laughs) i I originally thought like oh if he pins him and he counts to 10 then the ring explodes why is the guy not getting out like that's what (laughs) i assume was going on oh and then there is a mexican standoff match in which it you have to pin your opponent outside of the ring and then you have to run back to the ring and then your opponent has to the count of 10 to also get back to the ring i have never met a, a deathmatch historian before talking to you well it's it's just old ecw's <laughs> ecw was great in that they they got all of this stuff from uh, Mexico and Japan and, and other places and then they just kind of tamed it down for like the the WWF audience that wanted something a bit extreme going going back to the swimming pool yeah, death yeah hell sorry, match, anyway. um several things caught my eye on this one <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> I uh, would say if anyone if anyone listening wants to watch an explosion death match this is the one to go check out. If you just type in FMW um, explosion pool deathmatch, you, you'll find like several um, streams of it. On the highlights YouTube are enough, honestly. Yeah, and I tried to look up the actual show, and I've, I found like some details of the DVD of it, but I can't. I think this was just a house show. I think at this point they were just like, <laughs> "Fuck it, we'll just do it." It's not well, important. I was going to say to you, what I was originally going to say was the highlights were about five minutes. You said the actual match was about two minutes longer, right? Yeah. yeah so like you you <laughs> set up C4 and Dynamite on a ring that you've set up in the middle of a pool with cannons 
going around the ring and you do it for about seven minutes and then go home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Think how long it probably took them to set up that arena. I know, right? That's what I that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um there was a bit in this. I have to talk about this first off. I I'm not sure whether it's Mr. Pogo. Anita has got blood all over his shirt and his stomach. There's several people, there's six men in this match. There's several people like pretending to beat each other up. And then the camera just does a close-up of, I assume, Mr. Pogo with a fucking scythe pretending to stab Anita. In the stomach, yeah. Over and over and over again. I'm like, I'm okay, so we're now actually getting to a point where this is a snuff video. And that's where Ben's got me to... <laughs> And, and then, after stabbing him repeatedly, Anita just gets up and throws him in the fucking water. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. Because I, I guess they got to get the timings. They've only got seven minutes yeah, to do this. <laughs> got to get it done. Another thing I found interesting, there was one does, really cool spot. What does um, JR say? You don't get paid by the minute. Yeah. Get there was one really cool spot where one guy, I couldn't believe it, jumped over the barbed wire into another guy, into the water, into an explosion. Like, that <laughs> That was crazy shit, man. That was crazy shit. I just love shit. when they went into the water, like, the, just the whole thing explodes in the water. It's just fantastic. But you know that meme where Leonardo DiCaprio is uh, sitting on his sofa holding his beard, like, pointing at the screen, looking like... Oh, I know that. I had yeah. this so many times in this match. The most, the biggest one was when, like, just as it was about to end, I was like, holy shit, that's Mike Awesome. Yeah. Mike Awesome was in this match. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you say, like, this one is a bit of a snuff film. You like how I kind of eased you into it with the Terry Funk yeah, matches. Yes, I, I totally noticed that, by the way. You can't get away with it. You sent me... No, you you genuinely did. You did. You did this exact thing, right? So you you started with Foley and Funk, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Foley and Funk, you know that one." Yeah. And then you said, <laughs> fairly tame by comparison me, as well. Then you sent me Funk Anita, and you're like, "Oh, Funk's still here." Yeah. And then we just went full Anita, and they just got worse and worse and worse until I'm watching a man being murdered with a fucking scythe in a swimming pool. <laughs> And at that point, it was just too much deathmatch. We we yeah. we strain off uh, path a little bit. Well, apparently there's loads of varieties. I had, I couldn't believe that there was a a, a female version in like 1993 or something. Yeah, something Crazy. like that. Around about then, yeah. Same company. And then, so we we wanted to discuss Moxley uh, Omega, and that this is like the first ever exploding deathmatch on US television. But I found a couple of examples, not full matches, I couldn't find full matches, of a couple of US independents, indie shows. Mainly CZW, I saw highlights of two matches in CZW. I would have assumed if anybody done it, it would have been CZW. Like, you would have assumed like, ECW, but we already went there. Yeah, but, but CZ, what I mean is like CZW is they take anything and uh, deathmatch it. Like I'm pretty sure they had like a piranha match. Yeah, so, CZW to me isn't even deathmatch. It's it's that garbage wrestling where it's just, I, it's just messy and disgusting. I can't say I've ever really even watched a full match. Anyway, so these, these clips that I, I've seen, 
much better quality uh, camera work and the explosions actually look scary. I was reacting how the fans were reacting in all that early 90s stuff. And I wondered whether it was the quality of the, the camera work that to mm. us, it feels like we're just watching a B-movie. Like this is just stunt performers and explosions yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's a movie. It's like, wow, that looks cool. But when it looks more realistic, it's actually quite fucked up. This is one. This is the one factor that as I was watching these matches, uh, I was thinking about, like I, I mentioned it earlier, but there's no way that I can get the full impact from these YouTube videos. And I think that to me is the most interesting thing going into this death match with Mox and Kenny. Because obviously AEW's got a massive budget. Like, is this gonna stop being Because I have to admit, like, a lot of the death matches I I watched that you sent me, they had moments of real tenseness, especially when the sirens were going off and things like that. But it was still so sort of over the top that it was fun. Yeah. Is there a point where you've got a giant budget and an HD camera and you're doing some of this stuff and it becomes like horribly grotesque? It becomes too real. And yeah. I think that's always why I've not really liked CZW because their proper death matches are too real. They like we discussed um light tubes. They use light tubes and nails yeah, yeah, yeah. and all this stuff and it's like I've, people are actually being uh, mutilated. Like this is always- fun. I've always avoided uh, the name Necro Butcher. If I see him mm. in anything, I, I don't go there because I know what he represents and it's not stuff I want to watch. Yeah, there's a fine line. Like, hardcore wrestling is fun up until a point where it's like, that's going to scar that person forever. But, I mean, just like anything else, there is a serious side to this where, you know, it, it whatever you're interested in, there will be a market for something darker. Yeah. Uh, well, wrestling's just, a prime example. Yeah, there, there will be stuff on wrestling that we don't want to see as wrestling fans that will exist because there's a, a, a portion of the market that wants it. So, do you reckon there's a whole side of other wrestling fans that uh, don't like the extreme stuff that maybe we do that don't even like the idea of Moxley and Omega having an explosion by wire match? Yeah, that's a really interesting point that I haven't thought of. Um, I do think maybe this would turn off some people. Uh, I'm not sure what who those people would be exactly. Well, I, think- I can imagine if, if you grew up watching... If you're younger than us and you never really watched ECW, you never watched uh, TNA, some of TNA stuff, so you just grew up on WWE hardcore matches, which is just a chair, sometimes you'd land on a car whatever um maybe maybe you saw one or two inferno matches but even then that's not that extreme is it and then you saw john moxley omega last year do what they did and it's just like that that's not wrestling that's actually killing each other but it's not even that at this point like i i can't remember a time in history discounting the early days of ecw where two uh wrestling companies were less aligned like when WCW, WWE were competing, they were slowly becoming edgier at the same time. TNA and WWE were always at the same kind of level at the same time. This is the first time I can think of where the WWE product is so sanitized and so aimed at six-year-olds and their competition, to an extent, is doing is gone the other way and gone so far that they're doing something that we've never seen in the West. 
Yeah. Uh, and that's a crazy juxtaposition. And I think it'd be very interesting to see if if this did catch wind and people outside of the bubble that we're a part of saw some of this stuff, whether they would react positively or negatively to it, having only knowing the uh, watered-down WWE product right now. Depends what happens. I mean, like, how far do you think they're going to go in the match? I mean, obviously there's going to be explosions, and then there, there has to be at least more than one, otherwise it's going to be very disappointing. Well, um, that's, that's another thing that I thought of. Like, w- the whole of the wrestling community uh, is very excited about this match. I really hope that it's not a damp squib. It could easily be. Like, it could. Some of the stuff that... that uh, and it wouldn't be Moxley or Kenny Omega's fault, but some of the stuff that we've seen in the Japanese promotions, this is 2021. Like, not not only is everything more health and safety orientated these days, but we, we are guys still in the middle of a pandemic yeah, doing an exploding ring death match. Um, there's only so far they can go. And I hope that doesn't mean that it ruins the quality of the match itself. Well, you say there's only far they can go, but at the same time, it's 2021. Wrestling is already very different to what it was in 1992. So they have to up the ante even more to that next level. Um, I just hope no one gets hurt. Well, do you remember when we were talking about gouging Rey Mysterio's eye out? Yeah. And then I said, okay, WWE set a precedent that in the wrestling world, this is something that can happen. Like, what's the yeah. next thing? What are the boys on the indies going to do now that this is a real thing? Luck- I, I luck- don't like that. I don't like that idea. Yeah, luckily we've not really seen it come to fruition, but I think one day it will do. But um, but now in AEW, we're having this explosion death match. AEW's already criticized for too many flips and dips and stunts that could end a wrestler's career if they land on their neck slightly wrong. So you add this explosion and this barbed wire in, and it's Moxley and Omega, like, they're going to have to go to such a level to put on not a disappointing match that they generally could really hurt each other. And that's wrestling, bro. It's it's all... The whole point of the game is about marketing extremes. Yeah. It always will be. But saying that, I don't think they're going to let us down because it is Omega and Moxley. They're going to they're gonna put on a barnstorm. As I said before, Easy. I just really hope that nobody gets hurt. Uh, obviously, you can say that about any match, but this is a match that could mutilate somebody if they're in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Uh, well, it's that's the it's thing very, well. very like, scary. Like you said, health and safety. What kind of explosions are they going to go for? Because there's no way they're going to There's no way they're going to do a Terry Funk or um, Anita. They're going to have the kind of explosions that could mutilate them. You know, Tony Khan is definitely going to have something in place where they're they're going to be safe no matter what. You know. Yeah. Uh, I just hope that they're, they're not like sparklers. But that's yeah, that's the fine line. Like, <laughs> and uh, honestly, like what what's really funny to me is um, we're wrestling fans that were doing a podcast about uh, exploding ring death matches. Exploding ring death matches are so hard to find that in order to do research, Kenny Omega and John Moxley are probably watching the same two forty bit YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah, although uh, um, Omega is so entrenched in Japanese culture, I imagine he found Knows a lot of tapes. Yeah. Well, I imagine he had a lot of tapes when he was over there. And, well, I hope uh, he's passed it on to Mox, his mortal enemy, so he can watch some tapes too. I just, but this is the thing: a lot of people forget that Moxley is a deathmatch wrestler. 
You know, he well, that's he, the the first mention that I saw of CZW in years when Moxley was going around an arena and said, "This used to be my old CZW arena." Uh, and he, he got really nostalgic about it. He's the only person that's ever, ever mentioned that promotion on mainstream TV. Yeah. How have they become so famous, really? Because, like you said, not many people really mention them, but I think every wrestling fan knows what CZW is. I think it's just because they went too far most of the time, and there was a period of time where a lot of uh, wrestling products weren't, really going anywhere near that ECW level, whereas CZW were were getting to a point that was unsavory. Yeah, they pushed it past ECW level. Yeah. They're they're the ones that... Have you seen those clips of someone diving off the top of a building to a ring outside? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's them. That's them. They're they're definitely a promotion that I've spent most of my life avoiding. (laughs) There's some good stuff, but obviously, yeah, there's some crazy shit too. I mean, like, John Moxley came from there, and there's a few other wrestlers... um, What's his name? Jimmy Jacob. Oh yeah, uh, he's a, a like a weird manager type role in Impact now. He th- doesn't do anything. I think he's actually a backstage um, producer for Impact. Oh, is he? he? Yeah. And there's anyway, a, there's a few other guys. Yeah. Anyway, this has been a great hour long chat about exploding ring death matches, and I would like to thank you for opening my eyes to a world of hardcore wrestling that I probably wouldn't have looked at otherwise. I'm just sorry I didn't really know the backstory to the matches so much. The research for this has been a bit rushed this week. I think it's been fun. I think think this is pretty decent. I I, I also would like to thank you for introducing me me properly to Anita. Um, And I'd like to thank you for making me watch that Anita vs. Funk match. And just just sort of making my wrestling palette this week a little bit more interesting. If anyone's a Smackdown. if anyone's a fan of nineties wrestling or modern Japanese wrestling, Onita and FMW is definitely worth like a couple of hours just to check out. I would one hundred percent agree on that. As as a guy that you know is uh, more into the sit down chain hold stuff yeah i said at the top of the hour i know how much you love your wcw rick flair stuff and this is more my my wheelhouse there's something for everyone in this i mean i know the word deathmatch puts off a lot of people but actually there's a lot of storytelling and not all of them are mick foley soaked in blood murdering terry there's Clark. a whole world whole world away from that which i had no idea of um and yeah hell of a ride I really enjoyed it. And saying that, I think we're going to have an instant classic on Sunday. It's going to be a lot of fun, Moxley versus Omega. I'm so pumped for it. I really hope so. I'm actually thinking about uh, going back and finding that Lights Out match and having a watch of that before I watch the pay-per-view. I loved that match. A lot of people were down on it. I, I liked it too. And didn't they get complaints from the arena or something? Oh yeah, they got fined. Yeah, uh, was it the arena or was it just I know I think it was just it was like the county yeah it was it w- the uh, state athletic uh, commission the state yeah well like you can't do that and then they were like well this, this is wrestling you don't really have any grounds and then the arena was like okay yeah we're gonna find you and now they can't go back to that that town they can't run a show in that town at least for a little while a couple of years or something <laughs> crazy isn't it well it's, a, well it's a good time to not be able to run a show in a town while you're in the pandemic <laughs> yeah True. They're, they're signed that rule and they'll be like, no, you're not coming back here for three years. And then the pandemic will last three years and then they just go back without even realizing it. Brilliant. Fantastic stuff. Anyway, thank so, you for death matches. No uh, problem. Anita and Ben. Well, um, 
down the line, hopefully we'll do some more ECW stuff as well. Yeah, this has been really fun. It's it's nice to get out of my wheelhouse a little bit because most of the week, if I am watching wrestling, I'm watching bullshit Raw or SmackDown, pretty much. Uh, so, so it's nice to go somewhere so crazy. So the next couple of weeks are going to be a lot of fun for you then because you're going to have a lot of distractions from Raw and SmackDown. Next week, we're probably going to just do a play-by-play of Revolution because we're both kind of pumped for two or three matches on that card. And Try then, and get that up earlier as well. And then the week after, we're talking about Lex Luger because um, the WWE Network have a special on him. So we're going to take a Well excited dive. for that. Yeah, we did it on Ric Flair and we did one on Doink the Clown, which we both had a lot of fun doing. So we're going to take a deep dive on Lex Luger. So until then, guys, keep it botched up. Brother!